Welcome to the Bag Drop, untold stories in golf. Professor, top of the morning. I, I want everybody to know I'm back. I didn't get the pink slip. I, I <laughs> drove through it. I'm not bitter. Got pretty I'm close ha- I'm, there. I'm happy now. I'm happy. Behind the scenes negotiations worked out well. Comfortable the ice to sit is here slip- as a co-host. The ice is slippery, but the sun is shining. I was getting pretty, you know weary with you there on that last one, but that's all right. I'm glad, I'm glad we're back. And I actually, I have a grievance to air if that's okay. Yeah, fine. You know, well, I can take it. This, this, this club down in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, the secret society of golfers. Uh, yeah, there's this member guest event I've heard about. Seems like a great event. I know a lot of clubs have it. I know oh, they do. It's a something. wonderful event. Fantastic. You know, there, you would think one of your lifelong best friends who happens to be one of the silent members there, whatever you guys call it. Uh, you, you would think he'd extend that invite to one of his dear friends who's extended him so many interesting invites over the years, particularly co-hosting a podcast, you know, things of that nature. You you, you would think, you would think, but hey, when, alas, no when invite. You, when you sign up for a tournament, your goal is to win, right? That's that's the goal. That's why you sign up. What's What's the weakest part of your game? Oh, buddy. Don't you dare. Wait, wait, what uh, part of the game part, is, what, what's the most important part of the game for, for that little place in South Pittsburgh? I think yeah, the we, same, same answer comes on both of those. You know, I, my average wedge game is better than most, okay? So I, I, I will not let you uh, paint this picture for our dear listener. Um, yeah, okay, wedges. So that's why I don't get the invite because I, I mean, can't, uh, what, my proximity is uh, not there? Is that plus, it? The plus two with average wedges just doesn't, doesn't fly around that place. And, you know, we're, the, we're there to win. I got my boy Mills, flight champions three years in a row. So rule is flight winner. If that happens, they have the first option and Mills just won't relinquish it. He turns, he's a, he's a shady one handicapper. I mean, <laughs> That's 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 the real answer, pal. That's the real answer. I mean, shady one handicapper in that one. It becomes tournament time. He quickly, you know, Kent State Flash, recruited by Ben Curtis, golfer, comes back and he goes from a one handicap to like a plus five in just like for a five hole stretch. He always he always manages that. But you know, if we don't, I'm going to submit a handicap review on behalf of the members of Sweet and Sweet and Co. You know, though, if we don't win the flight, you're you're working on your game. You know, you. Reshafting your clubs, got some new clubs in the bag. I, I, I feel, I feel like there might be something in the works in the future, though. Just plant the seed. Take that. Just, on. yeah. Just wanted to air it. You know, I, I'm, I'm using this as an opportunity. So thank you for listening. Uh, we got someone else to listen to today. Awesome guest. You and I both know this man probably from Twitter, but we've gotten to enjoy his takes and his coverage of all things golf. Ryan Balangi is joining us on the bag drop. So. Uh, why don't we get some fun facts? You got any educational material for us before we get to our, our chat with Ryan? Yeah, how's your uh, how's your nap game? You a napper? Since my coffee intake, I used to be. My family are legendary nappers. Your dad like, can. Oh yeah, he can nap on. I think Royal County down like seven T if he needs to, and he'll be making birdie on eight. It's incredible. Like the guy gets it. My whole family, but I'm the the one that went the caffeine route, and I think it's really tossed off my my napping abilities for hopefully not the rest of my life. But I, I'm I'm I no longer nap is the answer. Are you saying Becky's a napper? Uh, okay, maybe Becky skips uh, it too. But. I would say she seems she accomplishes too much. If she's a napper, then I don't know how she gets done what she gets done. Um, naps, though, I mean, neither take them or leave them in the sense of you don't need them. But if you need them, they're good to take. Keys with naps do not take a longer than definitely no longer than ninety minutes. But really, you want to stay under the forty-five minute run if you can, just in terms of they're good to re-energize your body. But if you start sleeping too long, then your body goes into full sleep mode, right? And wants to like go through the four phases of sleep and do that. So try to stay away from that. But that's not quite the fact of the day. Snails, right? What do you think of when you think of a snail? Escargot. Escargot, yeah, yeah. Things that move slow. Slow, yeah. How about the longest naps? Guess how long a nap can last in snail life? 27 days. Three years. <laughs> Snails can, which I don't even know how you can call it napping at that point. Like, right. why is that I think called? That's a snooze. That, that's that a... seems to be a slumber. No, but that's something about, I don't know how they figured this out. I didn't. 
it was weird enough. I like remembered it. I didn't go deep dive it like I like to though, but I think it'd be one that like, why is it called a nap? But yeah, longest nappers in the, in the world are snails. And uh, they can go up to three years in a, in a little slumber. Man, what, what do like snail spouses think of that, right? Like, hey, I'm going to take a quick nap. And then, you know, the missus is like, dude, it's 2027 now. What, what are you doing? <laughs> the like, kids have graduated. The kids are gone. They've moved out. That wasn't a nap. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to take a three-year nap sometimes, I'll <laughs> yeah, tell you. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right in that period right now, but you could just snap your fingers <laughs> forward with the, the young kiddos. Um, life would calm down a bit, but. Here we are. Well, that's 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 an interesting one. I, I thank you for for uh, bestowing that knowledge, Professor. Why don't we? What do you say? Let's get to our chat with Ryan. Let's get to our chat with Ryan. Ryan Bolangi, welcome to the backdrop. Thank you for having me. And uh, I was thinking about like what snail rapid eye movement sleep would look like. <laughs> would that just freak everybody out? But the question is, yeah, is there rapid eye movement even rapid is a, is a good question. Right. How, how rapid is rapid for a snail? Because if a, if a nap can be three years, I mean, how quick are we talking? Their, their eye moves every two weeks. And that's, that's the rapid <laughs> eye movement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a slap happy morning here on the, the Backdrop Podcast. Yeah, it is. Ryan, many uh, probably know you from Twitter. I know you got a big following out there, but uh, those that know you best. We'll probably know you from Golf News Net and being the founder and editor of everything from Golf News Net. Um, I, I wanted to kind of take us back to uh, just your your golf, because I think for someone to dive into the variety of topics that you do, everything from courses to equipment to pro golf to uh, the intricacies of the game, you got to have some level of obsession with it. So I'm, I'm going to know, I want to know like when did you first say, this is my thing, I'm a golfer? So I used to play like every sport as a kid. I used to play baseball and basketball and soccer. And uh, I play lacrosse if you let me, even though I didn't play formally. I'd play football if you let me. My mom would never sign the waiver to let me get concussed and play football. So didn't do that. But um, kind of along the way, sports just kind of felt, certain sports fell off the wayside, right? You, you realize you, whether you're good at something or not so good at something and or interest or disinterest. And I used to go to the batting cages, and the batting cages were attached to a driving range. So I would go hit baseballs, and then I would go get a awful, you know, driving range driver and just bang a, a large bucket out there on the range and really, really liked it. And I got four, I think they were half-hour lessons from the driving range pro. And at the end, he gave me a sleeve green sleeve of Dunlop golf balls is like a, a congratulations for completing the lessons. I still have that sleeve and I've never, never played it, never touched it. And I, I think that was kind of what started me on the journey to where he, here we are now. And I tried out for the high school uh, varsity golf team. We only had varsity at the time. Eventually we had junior varsity and I thought I had no prayer. I mean, I'm not a country club kid growing up. I don't didn't really play a lot of tournaments. When I did, I didn't play particularly well. Um, but we had n two nine-hole tryouts, and the, the first nine was okay, you know, like 42-ish for nine holes. The second nine, I'd never broken 40. I shot 39. And the highlight of that 39 was on the ninth hole, I had, I don't know, 85, 90 yards in. It was a sh it's a short hole at Rolling Road Golf Club in Catonsville. It's our home course. I love Rolling Road to death. And at the time, there was a huge overhanging branch over the green from back of the green, like a tree. I scalded my approach shot with everybody watching. It was awful. And it hits this branch flush, dead branch, plops down to seven feet, make the birdie, <laughs> and they put me on the team, and I have four years of high school varsity golf. And uh, what a fairy tale story! That's incredible, Cinderella. I, I never, I never should have made that team. I, I had no business playing high school golf at that time, and I got better, got much, much better, uh, very, very quickly after that. So that was kind of the catalyst for okay, if you can play high school golf, why can't you become a better player than that? And kind of went from there, and here we are, and I'm 40 years old, still playing golf, and still trying to get better. That's awesome. I, I, that reminds me, I, 
a friend of the professor and I, Tom Jalbert, listener of this podcast, I played freshman tryouts. I was a golf nerd, country club kid. Like, you know, I I, I knew I was going to be on that team, and and I got paired up with this giant red bear like uh, individual. And I'm like, how's this guy not playing football? Like, what is he doing here? And he shot like 130. It was it was something up there. Tom, I know I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but <laughs> you know, just like got one of the last spots on the JV team, but was really cool. And I know you're a good golfer, Ryan, which is why I'm telling this story. Uh, this Tom Jobber guy, he ended up becoming our our third best on the team by his senior year, probably by his junior year. And he just like, and everybody kept trying to recruit him to the football team, recruit him to the other sports. But like yourself, he just kind of had that bug of, nah, this is this is cool. I want to be a golfer, and uh, and he's now a f- fantastic golfer. So. I, I love those stories. I love that. Thank God bless that branch that gave you that birdie. Oh, for sure. I still have the Rossi putter that I made that seven footer with. I still have a lot of stuff from early in my golf life. I just refuse to get rid of it. I don't even know why I still have it just other than it makes me kind of happy. So yeah. What, uh, what makes you happy in, in, in golf media and in what you cover? Is there any topics? Cause again, the breadth of what you cover and, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure like 90% of golf news net is, is you as the, the contributor, right? I mean, I know you got some yeah. other people, so that's a lot of content. What's the thing that like you noticed yourself getting more excited about, or does it change? I think it changes. I mean, I, there are times where I've been very excited by equipment. Um, I love travel. I mean, I love just playing new golf courses. So opportunities to be able to do that are an, as much of an automatic yes as it gets if the schedule allows. Um, but I mean, the majority of the content, the overwhelming amount of content that we do day to day is is around professional golf. There's just so much of it. And I, I think the thing that I get really interested in and particularly proud of is trying to cover a breadth of tours, not just cover the PGA Tour, DP World Tour, the LPGA call today. I, I like being aware of, at least fairly aware of, Ladies European Tour, the Sunshine Tour, the the Australasian Tour. I like knowing about that stuff. That interests me because those are the people that could be the next superstars of the game that we we haven't heard of, and there's no pipeline of you know ho- hype for um, at least in this country. So that I think that these days has me really interested. But topically, I mean, I, like you said, to cover a lot of golf, you have to love golf. So mm-hmm. a lot of it just generally interests me. And keeps my attention. Otherwise, I don't. I don't know how I'd stay with it. But as a you know, entrepreneur, kind of part of it, that has really become one of my obsessions over the last few years. Is trying to figure out how to take this from something that allows me to pay my bills to something that allows me to build something that hopefully will lead to employing other people and creating something with a lasting life beyond my time as someone who just covers golf directly. Take us down to some of those alternative tours. Are there any stories or people in them right now that the broader golf audience might not be familiar with, but you think they should be tuning into? Well, I think Lynn Grant is becoming now a mainstream story. I mean, she was so great on the L.E.T. last year. I think it was four wins last year on the L.E.T. And she hung on to her LPGA card by the skin of her teeth, really, because she could only play overseas events because she, she's not vaccinated against COVID-19 didn't get the vaccination, just she could only play in countries where that wasn't required for entry, held onto her card, just won on the LPGA tour. Now she's got her card. Now she's got exactly what she wanted, a little bit delayed perhaps. But I think that's fascinating. There's not as much happening right now on the Australasian tour, but I love their their WebEx player series. They have these events where men and women compete at the same time, and they've had they have different it's kind of like the Scandinavian mix on the DP World Tour and they've had women winning at a pretty prolific rate against men in these fields which is really cool to see it's very interesting uh, it, it's I don't, I don't know what kind of the quote unquote acceptance level of, of mixed events is among the players but it seems like the press and it seems like the golf community in Australia is absolutely behind it so whenever they kind of tee up one of those I, I get interested in that just to kind of see what's possible, because I would love to see that kind of mixed event here in the United States between whether that's Epson Tour and Corn Ferry Tour, LPGA and PGA Tour, whatever it is. But I would love to see formats like that come here and uh, and be successful. So 
I try to keep my eyes peeled as much for ideas and what to do, how to conduct tournaments and things like that, as much as players themselves. That's that's a really interesting trend because I, I myself, probably those of us here and all those that are listening are all probably in that that niche group of golf uh, aficionados who just you know consume a lot of it. Will will seek out the the unique things and the, and the fun stuff. Probably pay attention more. As as men, we probably pay a little bit more attention to the the LPGA tours and the female professional tours, and so I've been watching that trend a lot. and And I know there's all this competition, right? Because you know, if the Golf Channel has on LPGA and the and the CBS has PGA, yeah, and they're a little bit overlapping coverage windows. Everyone kind of debates that online, but these the Scandinavian mixed, I was like obsessed with Ryan the last couple of years, and and I keep telling myself, man, if that happens here, I'm going to go to that event. I, I want to be there to see this, you know, interchange between, uh, the men and women's game. And, but what's stopping it? Like, I, I, I just don't think like, even to the degree of Wimbledon, I, th- I thought how, how special mm. is Wimbledon where on a Saturday you have the women's final on the Sunday you have the men's. I just, why are we seeing more of this in golf? What's, what's inhibiting it? Because it feels to me like there's demand for it. I think that there is, I, I, I'm really not sure what the what the hang-up is. I don't think there's a lack of sponsor interest. You could have two sponsors come together for two tournaments, one LPGA sponsor, one PGA Tour sponsor, bring it together. You could do it that way. I I don't see a flaw there. I think on the PGA Tour side, obviously, so much is about to change or is changing. Maybe that's going to kind of put a pause on, on the potential for this to happen. But, I mean, the rising tide lifts all boats, right? I mean, if, if you put the LPGA on network TV... It does well. I mean, the, the ratings for Pebble Beach were tremendous. Uh, the ratings are, were there. I mean, they were, what, over $2 million at their peak for Allison Corpus winning. So venues matter, time timing matters, consistency matters. And there's not a whole lot to give up, so to speak, for the PGA Tour to have an event where they have LPGA players competing. And they can be in one tournament. They could be in simultaneous tournaments. I don't think anyone on the LPGA side cares whether it's one or the other. Uh, it's just a matter of trying to put it together. And I, I think the L- or the PGA Tour would say, okay, well, we'll have our own event for FedEx Cup points and we'll have an LPGA event at the same time, kind of like they do for the Vic Open in Australia, mm-hmm. which works out great. People love that stuff. And you just need to find a venue really, really have two courses to be able to put on two events. We have plenty of those. We can do that in this country. So I don't really understand what the hangup is. Uh, I would like to see it come to fruition and I'm going to kind of keep beating the drum for it until it happens. So uh, hopefully it does one of these years. But again, with everything happening lately, I I think we're going to have to wait for that a little bit longer. Yeah, I think there's so many wonderful names in the in the women's game too to to get out and show that. Like you said, it just takes people being innovative, just get in the room and figure it out, right? Like you don't even need a complex with two courses, two courses in the same city to agree to hold a tournament. So, yeah. you know, you have half the players on one course on Thursday, the other, you know, half on the other course Thursday, get through Thursday, Friday. If you keep the standard 72 hole or 54 hole, make your cut, move them all to one course for the final round or two. I mean, there's so many solutions around, around this to really get some innovative tournaments and really feature all the best golfers in the world, right? Like, Women and men, get them both in the same place and show them off. Someone threw out the idea of having the PGA Championship and the KPMG Women's PGA Championship at the same time. Same mm. if same place, same time, more or less. Which I think is an interesting idea, but I also think kind of takes away from an LPGA major. So I, I think having that stage for it to just be about the women, that's totally fine. But then you can kind of have these combined events that don't necessarily... I mean, no, no offense to the 3M Open. I'm just throwing out the 3M Open here. But 3M Open, Rocket Mortgage Classic, those tournaments get good support from their local communities but don't do particularly well in depth of field or on national television coverage. So if that's an opportunity to increase some attention on it mainstream-wise, bring in the LPGA and have split field or simultaneous two-event you know two event type thing, That that's an opportunity, I think, for golf to win every every which way and not have to necessarily bring a significant tournament on the LPGA schedule down a notch. That's a that's a good point on the major. I think if it were match play, yeah. 
Ryan, that's where I go because everyone that's listening probably knows the history of the PGA Championship. It was match play at a time. And if you had the men and women's game both playing match play, because everyone talks about, oh, match play doesn't work for TV. If you have the men and women, women's game ending at the same time, I think those ratings are through the charts. Boom, we just solved the problem. Oh, it's, that's right where mine was. my mind was too. And then like, why not have an event where it's just all the best players in the world playing match play against each other? That's not even segregated based on, um, based on gender, right? Like obviously accommodate tees, um, for gender, right. but like, no, it's, here's the best, I don't know, 128 players in the world, big match play bracket, random draw it, go after it. Like who wouldn't be glued to the TV watching a quarter sister come down the stretch against like a Rory? I mean, everybody would be glued. Who to that. wouldn't be all over that. Yeah. 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 Oh, and man. the WGC match play has obviously gone away. So there's a, a gap here to do something just like that. And People would love it. People would just be all over. Can you imagine? Uh, I mean, throw it on like, like Marion or something. Like, oh, throw it on a classic golf course that every you know values every style of game. Give me, give me right. Scotty Scheffler versus Brooke Henderson, and let them both oh. smash the ball out there, and let's see what happens. I would, I would greatly enjoy that. Yeah. This is a theme of yours, Ryan, because you, you like challenges. You like solving problems, right? And and I've seen that. Uh, and kind of your career, I did a little background looking at it. And then that entrepreneurial leap. I love having entrepreneurs like yourself that at, at a certain point said, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to create something. Um, I, was, I was wondering if you could share that moment with us just of when you started Golf News Net and you said, because you, you had a career in, in golf media prior to that. But at that point, you decided, hey, I'm going to start this you know, and, and run. What what led to that? And and what, what looking back now, I think it's eleven years you've been running Golf News Net. Looking back now, what what do you think of that moment when you made that decision? So when Golf Channel let me go in, I guess it was the summer of twenty twelve, right? Um, right after the AT and T National. So my hometown event at the time was my last week with Golf Channel, which was kind of weird, but. I knew, I knew that day was coming. Like, they, they had given me a heads up, like, hey, this is going to kind of be the end. I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. And then I went and worked with a company called Back Nine Network, which attempted to be a competitor to Golf Channel. And I, I think I learned a lot about what to do and what not to do from that very strange environment that was Back Nine Network. But I really liked the idea of being a challenger to what was successful, to to, to be something to build something that didn't exist and make it relevant. And when that ended in, I guess, April 2013, it was like, okay, well, now what? Do you, do you attempt to do this? I mean, we, my wife and I had just had our son just a few months prior. And it was like, okay, well, how many opportunities are you going to get like this in your life? Do you go chase another staff writer job or being an editor or something like that? And that wasn't really particularly appealing. So I thought, okay, this this is your one and only chance to try to start this. And fortunately, at the same time, around the same time, Yahoo Sports reached out and said, hey, you know, we, we have an opening in our golf blog. We'd love for you to be the guy that runs it. It's a three-quarter time job. Did, oh, wait, did you we say golf blog? Oh, you just it, I just could hear the professor's heart flutter. <laughs> he he wants... He wants all the other internet websites to go away. He just wants golf blocks. Yep, just RIP Devil Ball Golf. But um, <laughs> so they offered me the opportunity to run it. And I, I said, okay, well, that's a chance to make money and build up Golf News Net at the same time. And Yahoo was totally cool with it. I said, so long as you're doing the work that you do for us and it doesn't overlap or get interfere with what you're doing yourself, we don't care. And so that gave me a multi year window to just kind of chip away at building a small audience for Golf News Net. And then in 2017, the week of the U.S. Open, the Yahoo got acquired by uh, Verizon and, and AOL and all that conglomerate that they had created. And I, I could kind of tell the writing was on the wall, but they said, look, we've, we've slashed our budget uh, for freelancers to zero. So you're out because I wasn't a permanent employee. And they knew I was going to leave at the end of the year anyway and probably go full-time with Golf News Net. So it kind of forced me into that a little bit sooner than I expected. But here we are six years later, six-plus years later, 
and things are still going, still growing, still trying to figure out all kinds of different things. There, I mean, there's so much to learn. I, I think that's one thing I really, really love about this is there's always something I can learn. There's there's some facet of running a business or coding or ad selling or platform learning or I mean, there's just so much to dive into. And I think that unlimited amount of stuff you can learn is really what keeps me going day to day. Yeah. So not only have you been in golf media, you also are creating within golf media, right? Creating a new platform and going on. We've seen a lot of changes in the last 10 to 15 years, and we've even touched on that with a couple other um, podcasts that we've done. And from your perspective, what changes have we seen within the golf media world? And do we continue to see? Well, I mean, obviously print is what it is at this point. I think it's become kind of a, a means to an end. Uh, for a lot of folks in that world, it feels like it's an opportunity to sell higher priced advertising to a legacy advertiser, but that the content itself is not necessarily secondary. There's still a ton of great stuff in magazines, but that that stuff is going to live online permanently and the magazines are probably not going to last too, too much longer. So I think there's been a transition there to digital that is for better or for worse. And I think it's predominantly for worse in terms of higher quality long form content. But we still have these great pockets of long form content between Golfer's Journal and McKellar and No Laying Up and Friday. I mean, these guys are doing great, great stuff that's longer form, that's not just headline driven or clickbait driven content. So I'm glad to see that still exists and is, is kind of evolving from just being about the printed word to incredible photography, great video footage, good drone work. It's a little bit more all-encompassing. I, I like that. I think that's the, the, the natural evolution of this because in a world where all of that is accessible, why aren't people able to create that incredible stuff? And, and now they're doing mm -hmm. that. And they've been doing that for, what, five, six years now between some of those entities, which is great, great, great. Uh, obviously, Golf Channel is what it is. Um, kind of seems like it's dying a slow death. And eventually it'll get folded into some other part of NBC Sports. And, and that's basically a property entirely driven by professional golf. I think 10 or 15 years ago, that wasn't the case. Golf Channel was more of a channel about golf, not a channel about professional golf. And that that's kind of unfortunate, but I, I completely understand the, the rights part of it. I understand why it happened. Just kind of is the nature of things. But I, I think the move toward trying to appease attention spans that are not necessarily all that long, yeah. And also not necessarily as interested in maybe some of the depth of the game that we might talk about here or in other similar outlets. I think that's kind of created a world where so much of the content is just forgettable and disinterest, you know, uninteresting and frankly off-putting. And you have to balance out, at least I, I think it's important to try to balance out trying to appeal to the average person, the average golfer, golf fan. And the person who's maybe thinking about it on a different level, maybe a deeper level, and trying to appeal to both some ways, but uh, that's hard to do. So I, I think it makes a whole lot more sense for the folks that we've kind of talked about before to appeal to maybe a smaller audience, but it's an audience that's highly engaged. They're really interested in so many different facets of golf and work within that. And frankly, I'm kind of swimming upstream a little bit against that, but I, I realize that. And uh, I've tried to figure out a way to make that work over time. And, and so far, it's worked out pretty well. But I, I completely see the, the value in being able to just be, a, I guess, a specialist, so to speak. And, and that works out really well for a lot of people. Yeah, it seems like the Golf Channel is fighting an uphill battle, especially being a 24-7 golf channel, because we have so much access to, as you mentioned, awesome, deep content with whatever niche we like to do. We don't have to rely on a TV channel to like, okay, 9 to 9.30 is my niche on breaking down Marion and the golf course architecture. And it's twice I've mentioned Marion today. I don't know why I'm on, stuck on Marion, but it's a great golf course, I guess. But like <laughs> we have we have all these other places to get that where, yeah, like the, uh, uh, I shouldn't say the golf channel is not needed, but a 24-7 all things golf channel probably isn't needed in today's media market anymore outside of a very small audience. Yeah, I think the days of having gatekeeper media are over. What those gatekeepers evolve into is really the, the, their big question, their existential challenge of 
okay, well, you don't need us anymore. I mean, you don't really need Golf Channel to watch any kind of golf. You can stream it. You can watch PGA Tour Live. However you want to consume it, you can consume it. You don't need a cable subscription. So if you're going to survive, what what is that to be? And I think that's probably the, the, the question Golf Channel has probably already answered but just hasn't told us what they've come up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's R- Rory that- giving swing tips on golf fast. What are you talking about? It's a, it's an easy. It's another another problem solved. <laughs> right. Exactly. We'll just we'll just transition to that. We'll put all the instructional content we've created and just put on that. And make you pay five bucks a month for it. You know that that type of thing. I mean, that's the challenge for a lot of the legacy media, big legacy media, is what do you do with all of that? And I, I think I think there's still a room for. I think platforms still matter. It's just the platforms that matter are different now. It's not cable TV. It's not having a print publication. It might be being on a streaming platform. It might be being accessible through radio. I mean, the things that I value are obviously the things I've kind of chased. Um, so that's kind of always been my guide star is, okay, well, what? how am I consuming golf? And if I, I'm not in that market or platform now, how can I get there and create it so that a lot of people can win with it? not just for me. Yeah. I think, I think the live stream is really intriguing to me for a variety of reasons. Um, we just had uh, Dan Rapport on the, the show last month and Barstool is doing their live stream of an event that we support on this podcast, the corn Ferry tours, MV five invitation. Yep. And so just, just that, that thought of like, man, th- th- this is changing before our eyes and, and there's going to be new ways to access those tours kind of connecting a point you made earlier of there's a lot of stories on these tours and these are really stinking good golfers about to be there, but there's no good way to see it all. So I, I just, I think this, that's the golf live streamed is a trend that I'm really curious to keep watching. And it's, a, I think we all have to kind of embrace, and I, I forget who tweeted this yesterday. Well, I want to say it was Daniel Negron, who was a poker player, but basically tweeted that, there are so many people who are more people who are famous now than there have ever been. And that's because there are niche communities that have massive followings you've never heard of. But there are superstars. There are famous people in all of them. And they have followings of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people you've never heard of. And I think that's fascinating. If you can embrace it and just understand you're not going to be the catch-all. You can't be the catch-all. That's not the world we live in anymore. We live in fractured communities of interests, silos of interests. And if you accept that and realize, hey, you can't have a mass market of 100 million people, but you can have a mass market of 5 million people and embrace in that community, you could still be tremendously successful from an attention standpoint, a content standpoint, a financial standpoint. It's just going to be a little bit different than maybe how the folks at Back Nine Network viewed having a cable channel that had 80 million homes just, you know, six or seven years ago. Really? Yeah. That's insight, insightful stuff. I mean, that's, I want to take us out of uh, golf media for a second back to the day jobs. Cause you know, I think we can all relate to those. You worked at Billy Casper golf for a little, for a while. And I read in your, your byline of some of the things you, you did on that CV, you redesigned the website for nearly 160 golf properties. Now, here's my question, Ryan. Part of my job for New Club is I have all these golf courses and I have to get information and share it with our members. And I have read, and I'm not exaggerating, thousands of course descriptions from their website. And there are thousands of terrible course descriptions on their website or, or club descriptions or just descriptions in general. My question for you, sir, is in that time frame, what did you have any innovation? You, you are a problem solver, as I said. Is what did you just talk about the babbling creek that runs through the property? Did you talk about like the willow tree and the same stuff that they just a beautiful uh, uh, scenic landscapes? And I mean, how we need innovation around whoever's writing these things. I think I'm going to start a, another outfit that just specifically comes in and does two things: redesigns logos for for country clubs and rewrites their description because they're bad. And I and I've probably now wrote 300 of my own, and I'm not saying mine are great, but at least you try to tell a story that's deeper than you know the same. It, 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 every course has like the same description. What was that like for you doing that? Did you do? Was that you or was that a copywriter? Who? What do you think? 
I guess fortunately for my sanity, a lot of it turned to be a, a copy paste job of taking what they had and moving it to a new platform. So in my experience, what that got me this job was I used to be a, a project manager for a, a not-for-profit that specialized in affordable housing issues. So we would do complex you know, uh, accounting systems and data input systems and reporting systems, all these amazing things. So when I came to Billy Casper, it was kind of being this dual role to create this content network that unfortunately didn't get enough you know, internal buy-in in the end. I think they thought they would get more than they got. But also this technical side of moving all of these websites from one really bad platform to, frankly, another really bad platform in the end <laughs> that just happened to cost a lot of money and probably was probably not the best choice. But anyhow, um, making that move going through website after website of championship golf course, uh, all, all the, uh, I've seen the word dog leg too many times, uh, risk reward. I mean, just over and over, just the same phrases again and again and again, bad stretches logo, to again, over 7,000 yards. Yeah. Oh, just, uh, just awful, just terrible, terrible stuff. And I, I completely agree with you. At one point before I kind of dove into Golf News Net full time, I was like, well, what if I created a, for lack of a better term, repository of golf course information and you could just go and look for You wouldn't even have to have a golf course website. You could just have all, your page on this site and it would do it all for you, like a, a nicely designed website. There's so many bad golf course websites. It's staggering. I mean, I would say if you made me guess 80 percent of them or more are terrible, oh, yeah. if not unusable. And because they don't address the basic things someone wants to do when they come to your website. They want to know the scorecard. They want to know how to book a tee time. If they want to call you, they want to know how to call you. And they want to know where you're located. Everything yep. else, frankly, is just fluff. No offense to the course description. I mean, if you've never seen the course, you want pictures, drone yeah, footage, pictures. and some descriptions. Pictures, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. That's it. And most golf course websites do not do any of those things properly. No. And it is really, really frustrating when you want to go play a new place and try to scout it ahead of time. And you just go there and you're like, if this is what the website's like, what is the course like? Oh, what's the experience like too? I mean, you look at yeah. uh, the, the, the restaurant industry, I think would be an interesting parallel where you, you very rarely nowadays see a poor restaurant website because they realized how integral it was to their, uh, their customer and and their success and i just don't think golf courses are there and they need to be i mean private too private yeah. like oh. the, the fact that some of these private clubs don't have information they think they don't need to but man prospective members are landing on that all the time and, and it's like if that's your first impression you, you got a problem it it drives me nuts i mean the other restaurant that's a great comparison now every good restaurant um, website you go the menu there's a menu button pretty immediately because they know like, okay, number one thing people want when they come to my thing is menu and probably reservations or something like that would probably be, I assume, second um, place to menu. How many times you go to a golf course website and you're looking for something about the golf course and you, it's like, well, do I go to the bout? Do I go to the history? Then I get down to facilities. Then I go over on golf course. It's like, you're a golf course. That's your business, right? Like, and I got to go three levels deep just to get any information about the golf course, let alone book a tee time. It just drives me nuts. It's like, no, I'm coming to here just because we most users probably want to know about your golf course. Like, like you said, pictures, drones, like entice me to come and want to play your golf course, not read a paragraph on exclusivity and your championship links and your newly installed Bermuda yada 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 practice facility turf like come on there were some there were some very good golf course websites in the bcg family and the ones that were really good were the ones that knew what they their customers used the website for mm -hmm. they knew what the purpose was and some of that wasn't always golf to be fair some of the golf courses did a lot of weddings or yeah. meetings and so they said okay well those that's really important to us that needs to be on the home page with how to you know a a widget to book the tee times, a couple pictures, a scorecard, and then a lead generation system for weddings or meetings. And there are probably a handful of those and everybody else, no clue what's going on. And I, I mean, not to, I'm not going to throw my own club totally under the bus here, but I, my home club's Argyle Country Club. It's a great place here in Silver Spring, Maryland. And they just redid their website and, and they've really, really improved it. But even for people who are prospective members, 
who are looking to join the club, it's hard for them to get that information. And just randomly, I was kind of working on a side project a couple of years ago uh, around COVID lockdowns of trying to build a website that would find a kind of single place for people who wanted to join a club to be able to compare clubs and understand their membership options and maybe even potentially buy membership directly. That website never went public except for like three pages. And I still get requests for people to join my club from that website because the information is that hard to find. So they found this random page on a zombie website and I get emails. And I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to help you join. I'm a member. But why are you coming here? <laughs> That's so, so funny. It, it, it's true. It, we do not do a very good job in the golf industry of giving people the information that they want and need. Yeah, and, and, and what could get them excited as well, you know, right. and, and, and keeping keeping golfers golfers. I think you see this slight drop off every year, maybe not in the last three years, but as the year goes on, you know, people just, it's not front of mind. And, and if you want the customer to keep coming back, uh, remind them of why it's so special. And that's why, like, for, for me and others, it, 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 golf is this deep experience, uh, you just don't see any of that on a website, right? You'll, you'll only see the, the same copy and paste job. So thank you. I was really curious and, and I knew you'd have a good perspective on, on that. Professor, should we ask some pro golf? I know Ryan's going to be on the beat for the upcoming Ryder Cup. And uh, I think when this drops, Ryan, you're going to be in Ireland, I believe. I will be. I'll be at the Irish Open. And, uh, and that's uh, going to be an incredible trip. I, I went to Ireland in 2012, just before my wife and I decided to have children, and we went in February of 2012. So we did not play any golf whatsoever. Um, all the Irish folks who were wonderful asked us why we were there, and why we were there in February. The same, <laughs> we told them it was the same temperature at home as it was there. So what was the difference? And then they all said, "Let's drink Guinness or Harper or Murphy's or wherever we were." And we had a great time. But now this time, get to play golf and then go cover the Irish Open at the back end. So that's great. And then, uh, then we're going to go do, my wife and I are going to go do the Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup together. So wow. this is awesome. thanks to, well, I guess, thanks to COVID, so to speak. Uh, this is one of those rare occasions where the Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup are played at the same year because they're going to go the Solheim Cup back to even number of years in 24. So they're going to play in back-to-back years. So they're both hosting in Europe this year. So it'll be in Malaga, Spain and, and think of Corsine. So we're going to go there, then we're going to go take a two-day stopover in Munich and do Oktoberfest, and then we're going to go do the Ryder Cup. So um, crazy golf adventures for Enchanted this year. Enchanted life you the- Enchanted. This is, that, that is like magic. bucket list right there. That was uh, – so last summer we took the whole family. We went to Alaska to cover the U.S. Senior Women's Am That's because cool. that was the last state in the union to host a USGA championship. That was incredible. Uh, and then th- we knew this was coming. So I was like, we're doing this. And now there's there's really nothing after that that's like calling me in the next few years. So uh, I, I figured you, you might as well do it. Right. Like, let, let's just go do it. Eat the cost and have a once in a lifetime experience. Heck, yeah. And, and kicking it off with one of the professor's absolute favorite courses on the planet, the K Club, a, a Irish <laughs> Lynx style you know, true to it, true to form, professor. Isn't that right? Blends perfectly with the grounds. Just, yep. The golf, golf course it's is just like, sitting there. It's like there. it's always been there. It's just sitting there to play. I mean, that's what the first thing that comes to mind when when we played over there. This was meant to be a golf course, and this hole was there from the beginning of time. A little backstory, Ryan. We, we made this uh, uh, very impactful uh, journey through Ireland, the professor and I, in 2005. We were, we were young men. And uh, learning about ourselves in the game of golf, and uh, and we played all these remarkable courses, but we ended up be- getting arranged to be able to play the K Club, which we were super excited about. But uh, uh, it was the only one that was non-Lynx style, and man, was it a deviation from Lynx style! And just like <laughs> the grandeur of it, you know, it was like, wow, this place is is August on steroids, and uh, maybe closer to like a Trump uh, property, but. Uh, two guys that also grew up playing their college golf at Firestone. We call it Firestone East because uh, it felt very, it felt like an immediate, you know, going from uh, Port Marnock 
to to the K Club in in, in the, the span of 24 hours, it felt like we were right back in in uh, Northeast Ohio at <laughs> at a very <laughs> a very nice place. I, I don't want to like it's it's really nice and the, I mean think about the Ryder Cup memories there with Darren Clark. Uh, I that's I I'm still envious of you. It's it's a special place. The exit's a little different in Ohio versus Ireland, but not not as different as you might think. Not as different as you might think, boy. It's it, it, <laughs> different up here in the northeast of Ohio, too. You know, people are just as pleasurable in both in both places. That's right, and they like exactly it. friendly communities. Where are all you playing, Ryan? When you go over to Ireland, what's the uh, what's Port Marnock is one of them. Uh, yeah. Royal Dublin. Oh gosh, I'm going to forget them all right now. There's six of them. Uh, there there are two. Uh, Mount Juliet, playing Mount mm-hmm. Juliet. That's one of the par- uh, Parkland one. I think we have two Parkland, four links. Mm-hmm. So, a, a good a good mixture. combination. Yeah, we'll we'll take that. That's totally fine. I, I saw someone bemoan my itinerary on Twitter when I put out why why would you ever play any Parkland golf in Ireland? And I completely understand that perspective, but also you, we're kind of doing this sort of last minute, so the opportunity to get on anywhere that we wanted wasn't exactly there. So worked out great. Very happy about all of it, and like I said, to get to go wind up going to the Irish Open, which interestingly enough, when I got out of undergrad, let's see, in 2004, I was going to go cover the Irish Open and the Open Championship hmm. and as my like post-graduation gift to myself, which that tells yeah. you how big of a geek I was, that I was running a golf, an unprofitable side venture golf blog, and that my vacation was going to go be to cover golf tournaments. Uh <laughs> And I still have the credential from the, the Nissan Irish Open that uh, I never wound up using because I wound up going to Vegas instead and losing some money there. But uh, <laughs> that was, it was a little bit cheaper. <laughs> but uh, so I, I can't wait to actually go finally cover this tournament. And Rory's going to be there. So everyone will be there get a whole, whole ton of uh, national support. And I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. You know, on the Parkland thing, I, I will say this, because I went to school in Ireland for a year and we all dream about the Bally Bunions and the Lynches and the uh, Carn and Rosa Penas and uh, Royal County Downs. But if you want to get to know the people of Ireland, 80% of them are playing Parkland golf. And yes, they go out to the coast and they play their tournaments and their Northwest, South tournaments and, and all that um, and, and maybe work into the regular golf. But uh, it, it is... You know, Roy McIlroy grew up on a Parkland golf course, as did Graham McDowell, did Darren Clark. Like a lot of the good players in the clubs are in in the center of the country or closer to the you know city centers where people have homes, and and so it's it, it is not all links golf. And I think um, Scotland has much more proximity, I think, in terms of their towns to the coasts, so that you do have more clubs that play on links soil, but. Those parklands are great, like, and, and it just gives you a perspective more of the the local experience of a country. I think so. A good on you is is what I say. And I mean, mo- most of my, th- I mean, I, I love architecture. I love playing new places, but so much of what keeps me going in golf is just meeting new people. Mm-hmm. It's just getting to experience people playing golf. You get to know somebody in four or five hours playing golf in a way you just don't doing other things. So even if it's not the places that we all dream of when we think Ireland exactly, it's still going to be a really cool experience because I've never met an Irish person I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. When you're displaced through the work or travel, sharing that with someone local just leads to the best, best memories because you just don't know what's going to happen from there. Um, yeah. And I'm sure they'll have incredible stories. And you, we'll, you must leave the pub pretty early though. If you haven't met an Irishman, you don't like, you just got to stick around long <laughs> enough and someone's going to, someone's going to finally piss you off. Well, an Irish person might make me sad. They made me sad one time, but uh, <laughs> but not angry. But, uh, other, but I, I didn't get angry at anybody. <laughs> okay. Uh, what about uh, Solheim Cup, Ryder Cup? I know we're we're more than a month out. I'm sure your head is focused on the current events of today, what, what you're covering. But ha- have you given any thought to to some storylines that you're looking forward to diving into for both of those major major events? I mean, on the Solheim side. It feels like this is a, a at least particularly for the American team, one of change, because the quarters haven't played as well. Uh, Jessica's had issues. Nellie's had health issues. Um, Danielle Kang hasn't played as well, so she's kind of been down a little bit. Um, and you've got a, a kind of relatively new crop of players that are going to take up a lot of those twelve spots. And Europe, 
obviously pulled the upset last time. They're on home soil, but in this, I mean, they've never played the Solheim Cup in Spain. So what will the community support look like? I know they have a lot of government support for this. That's why they chose to do it there. What will the team look like? Because the, the LET has changed too. I mean, you have Lynn Grant and Maja Stark who have become household name. Well, to me, a household name, maybe not to everybody, but they've become great players or young, young players on that tour. And you still have a bunch of Europeans that are playing well in the LPGA, but they're also in a little bit of flux as well. So I think there are going to be a lot of fresh faces, a lot of new names. And that'll be an interesting time for Stacey Lewis because she's the captain for this year and next year. They're just going to keep her the same because why would you do that with one year yeah, turnover? Makes sense. So her team this year is almost practice for next year, which will be at RTJ in my neck of the woods. So I'm going to be going to two Solheim Cups in a row, but uh, just with the same captain and maybe with a, a vastly different set of players. And then I, I, I'm very curious what a, a Rome Ryder Cup is going to be like yeah. because – I mean, I'm not going to throw Marco Simone totally under the bus, but there are power lines all over the place, and uh, it's it's going to be an interesting build-out. I wonder what the Italians will do support-wise, uh, how many people are going to come in from different parts of continental Europe to to be interested in it and to, to attend it. Uh, will it feel super casual? Because I feel like Italian sports fans are super casual, almost like Miami sports fans, like they might show up in the sixth hole of a match and then be ready to, to have fun instead of kind of like the last Ryder Cup I went to it. I'm dating myself, but Hazeltine, where the American fans were there at crack of dawn and 45 degree weather, lining the fairways five deep for golf that wasn't going to happen for three hours. So I'm very curious what the difference will be there. And, and then obviously with Luke Donald taking over for Stenson as captain, what's how his, his approach going to be a little bit different? And will there be a lot of guys because of how the DP World Tour has changed that will be on this team that have little to no experience in the Ryder Cup. And what will that mean compared to the Americans who are going to look not exactly the same, but a lot of the, you know, the, the core seven or eight guys are going to be the same that put that walloping on them at, at Whistling Straits. I'm really yeah, interested to see how the Italian situation plays. I mean, I love Italy. I've been fortunate to go to a couple weddings there recently. But in terms of efficiencies and running oper, you know, operationally, not the not the strongest culture in the world to be clipping no. on like, hey, this thing has to be ready for that eight thirty tea time. And when we say eight thirty, we mean eight thirty, and like the bus needs to run here and pick up fans and run like on this sort of schedule. That's not that's not their culture. Not a strong suit, no. <laughs> tomorrow they'll get to it tomorrow. <laughs> that's you know? right. That's right. That's right. We could we could play this on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, right? Like we we don't have to yeah, do this on course Friday. Course is empty on Monday. We'll just finish it on. We'll just finish it yeah. then. It'll be just fine. Yeah, course is closed on Monday, so we'll finish on Tuesday. That's right. And then uh, yeah, long lunch, so we can bleed in the Wednesday if we need to. <laughs> I know. I know people have been begrudging Marco Simone in in terms of the course and setup, but it feels like you know some of the Ryder Cup venues are. are not so much about the venue. It's about really that head-to-head competition. Oh. And, but I will say this. I was watching a match play, 1967. Shell's won for World of Golf. And Rome Golf Club. I knew nothing about this place. I need to know more and why we don't see this place. Like, And it's probably been renovated and everything. But you got to, if you're listening, go watch the 1960. I think it was like Peter. Well, Peter Alice would have been broadcasting it. But um, God, who I can't, I think, I think it was Bruce Devlin was playing, Kevin. And, uh, it's just the place looked awesome, like like a merge of uh, Rainer with Ross, like in some and then some other weird shit, like bunkers that shaped like triangles. And I was I was really infatuated. Oh, like, like what is De- this place? Like a Demir course or something like that. I wonder who did. Maybe I got to look I it up. I, I really don't know, but it just it just struck me when you mentioned the course that uh, let's go somewhere like that. Let's get really weird with these venues. And to be fair, you could play the Ryder Cup on a road and it would still be very compelling. So hundred percent. I understand it's it's a moneymaker for the European tour and that's why they do it this way and, and it's totally cool. And you gotta bring it to different places. That's also fine too. I mean, you're not gonna have the same architecture infrastructure that you have in Italy compared to the British Isles. It's just it's just not not gonna be that way. So right. hey, if we've got to kind of take one on the chin architecturally to be able to bring the the best competition in the world to other places. I, I can live with that. Well, Ryan, we, we've taken a good 
chunk of your morning and I know you got a lot going on. So I just uh, want to say thank you for, for being with us for this hour. Um, uh, where can folks find you? Easiest way is our website, golfnewsnet.com. You can find us there. Uh, I'm on Twitter and threads and Instagram at Ryan Ballengey, R-Y-A-N-B-A-L-L-E-N-G-E-E. Um, I don't really post much about golf on Instagram. It's about my kids, so you, you may not be as interested in that. But uh, a lot of, lots of golf takes on Twitter, and uh, you, that's that's predominantly where I do my social work. And then you can find Golf News Net Radio uh, on our website or uh, with TuneIn or iHeart apps. Either way, search GNN Radio, you'll find us. And then uh, hopefully more more to come on a streaming solution that uh, we talked about earlier, but uh, that, that may or may not be done by the time uh, we we share this with the world. So hopefully more to come there. But golfnewsnet.com will have all the information on that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, enjoy the travels overseas uh, w- when it comes and uh, keep doing what you do, man. We really enjoy it. And thanks for coming on. We'd love to have you back as well. If uh, I'm sure, I, I feel like this won't be our last. Well, I'm happy to come on anytime. Thank you for the invite. It was great. And uh, I, as you can kind of figure, I'm happy to talk off anytime. So uh, happy to come on whenever you need me. Awesome. Thanks, sir. And that was a lot of fun. Um, I remain in- Mr. Belangi is going places. I remain impressed with this pod. You know, I've followed Ryan on Twitter for a long time. Um, you know, he's one of the more active users on Twitter. So it's just fun during lunch break to jump in there and see what he's branding about and, and, and talking about. So it's fun actually getting to meet him in person. You know, long time follower. And now it's like a face to a name. Um, it's always a fun experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and realizing uh, how much- all people are like each other or like ourselves, you know? Yeah. But I think- <laughs> And going through the same stuff. One of the things like I really enjoyed about that pod and that stood out to me about Ryan too. And I think we talk about this a lot in the context of New Club or Golf Blueprint or or my work identity as a professor is like how focused he was on identity, like how much that conversation revolved around where he made the good point. Like you can't try to be everything for everyone, especially in today's media world. And I think you can say that in just world itself, like- what do you want to accomplish and have an identity about what you're trying to do? Um, that was refreshing to hear because I think it's so it's so easy to chase whatever it is, views, let's say, profit, um, all for the Approval. sake of yeah, whatever it is, like whatever vice you might have, it gets easy to go chasing that bucket, you know, bucket list golf courses. But where you can lose your identity in doing that because you're you're just chasing stuff, right? We talk about this in the context of country clubs a lot. You're just chasing the next thing to bring someone in rather than really sitting back and saying, what fulfills me? What makes, you know, what do I like to do? And what is it that I want to grow and build? So when people look at you and say like, he accomplished that, you know, I think it's true. It's good to stick to your identity. And that's something always resonates with me about you, Matt and uh, Mark with New Club. Like, you know, from the beginning, New Club has an identity and we aren't wavering from this identity. It's about bringing the soul of uh, golf, uh, the soul of the game back into it. Um, within the United States. Yeah, I, I I think a lot of the guests we've had are these sports media, golf media folks of recent podcasts. And it's it's enlightening for two reasons. I think it, it speaks to the economic factors of our capitalist society and where we're going to have to get our dollars from in golf. And so these guys have that direct insight because you know, that's where the eyeballs all that that's where the exposure is and and those topics uh that Ryan focuses on obviously is is where that both the the dollars in golf are going and where the eyeballs are going where the the consumer or the golfer or the people want to see and so i find it really insightful as i think about uh, new clubs place in the golf world of what people are paying attention to what they care to but on the flip side and i think that's where the identity portion of what Ryan was talking about is you also have to make sure you counterbalance that with what you believe, mm-hmm. what's right. And, and I think, I think in, in small terms, uh, uh, an example in our, our own golf is um, we think match play is a healthier version of the game, a happier version of the game. Yet nobody is out there screaming for, you know, more, more match play, uh, both as a, a viewer and a player, mm-hmm. um, not in America at least. And, and so, we try to counterbalance that because you just kind of feel in your bones that it's it's right. Yeah, it, it, it's it's takes one outside of themselves and and puts them into more of a collective 
uh, view of the game, to be a part of something, mm-hmm. to be a part of an ecosystem and have a partner and, and, and have an opponent. Um, and that's, that's just interesting. Just, he, he, he would, uh, he hit on that a couple of different times, I think, in, in talking about all the stuff he covers. But mm-hmm. yeah, really great guest, a knowledgeable guy. Uh, we'll have him back on at some point, I'm sure. Big thanks to our sponsor of the podcast this month and the Founders Cup headed to Big Cedar Lodge next month in October. Uh, we'll be with True Temper, uh, True Temper Sports, manufacturer of the world's best golf shafts, number one shaft in golf. But most people don't know they're making some strides in the game of hockey. If you're a hockey fan, you know this well already. True Temper is like every goalkeeper now on the NHL has, has True Temper sticks and, uh, and and more and more picking it up every day. So uh, True Temper Sports, thanks for sponsoring the pod. Uh, we'll talk to everybody here next time.